We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Not long ago, I was teaching a, a men's Bible study about uh, probably a little over 100 men, 150 men. And I asked them this question. I said, how many of you have ever been kicked out of some place? And almost all their hands went up in the air. And I thought, I'm afraid to pursue this any further. Uh, I don't, don't want to know the stories behind your answer there. I've been kicked out of places. We're going to talk about casting out. Casting out. Mark, I was just referring to the first song that you let us in tonight. You got to get a little bit happy when you sing that song, don't you? It's very, very good. Thank you. Uh, there's different kinds of casting out. In the passage we're going to read tonight, they're drastically opposed things where this word is used to cast out. Uh, sometimes you can been, be cast out, kicked out, and it's for a good reason. Sometimes you can be kicked out and it's not for a good reason. Sometimes you can be cast out because of your own doing. Sometimes you can be cast out because of other people's doing. Sometimes you can be cast out because of God's doing. And so let's look a little bit tonight, and I'd ask you to look at your own life to think about it. And uh, Psalm 147, please turn with me to John 9, and then we'll be in Mark 9. Turn to John 9 first, and I'm going to quote a verse while you're turning there. Thankful for all those that are uh, tuning in here. We've got a lot of uh, on the... On, online here tonight. We've got a lot of folks that are gone. I got emails and texts saying, sir, I can't be there tonight. We've got people traveling uh, around the country, but we are so glad you're here. And I pray you have the same sermon, whether it's a hundred people or a hundred thousand people. Psalm 147 verse two said, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. All my life, God has given me, for some reason, um, the ability to see the one who is outside the crowd. I've always been drawn to the loner. Everybody else, too, because I, I love harmony. I love when everybody's doing well and, and working together. But I always am drawn to someone if they're the outcast. Now, there may be reasons why they are. Maybe, like I said, on their own doing. It may be other people's doing. They may be a little bit different. I had a good friend who moved in high school, and it's tough to move to a new high school. And she came from Lafayette, Louisiana, and her clothes weren't exactly the same as what the girls in our town were wearing. And for a while, it was a big adjustment, and she's a fine, fine Christian lady today. But I've always been drawn to those outcasts, the ones that seemingly sometimes feel like or they, they experience being alone. Have you ever been in that circumstance? Have you ever uh, in your life been the only one standing somewhere for a season? If you did not get to come to the conference that we had over the weekend, I want to encourage you when it comes out, you'll be able to see that on our website. Please watch it. Watch it over and over again. Listen to those words. Much information was given. But it is very, very important. And I want to just say a hearty amen. I agree with everything about it. We as the church here in Denton and the church around the world need to stand and stand strong. We don't need to stand on our preferences. We don't need to stand on what I like and what uh, I want to pursue and to my agenda. We need to stand on God's word. Easy to say that, harder to do. But uh, I just beg you in a world that's uh, in a lot of ways has gone mad, uh, you and I can have the standard of God's word to hold on to. He'll do to tie to. Jesus will do in the storm to tie to.
I want to remind you of a man who was an outcast for a while. In John chapter 9, there was a, a man that had been born blind. Jesus uh, was confronted by him, and you remember that beautiful miracle where Jesus healed that blind man. And uh, the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders of the day said, who is it that healed you? And he said, I don't know what his name was. Uh, but I know I was blind, and now I see. Don't you know that that man that healed you was a sinner? And he says, whether or not he was a sinner, I don't know. He was threatened under his society and under his religious affiliation that if you believed this new way of this Jesus of Nazareth, you're going to get kicked out of your church. You're going to get kicked out of your synagogue. His parents were under that also, they were going to be an outcast if they uh, listened to and agreed with this Jesus. But their boy, who was born blind, was the recipient of one of the greatest miracles the world's ever known. How excited would that mom be who held that little baby who couldn't look at her and see her face all of those days? How excited would that dad be to see his grown son now being able to see the sun and to see other people's face and to see the trees and the birds of the air. How excited. Wouldn't you be just overwhelmingly touched by that when they came and asked the parents, is that your boy? What's happened to him? They said, we don't know. Go ask him. He's of age, ask him. You know, i tell you what, I, I can't understand how those parents would not be so excited. But see, they let the fear of being cast out of their church, their synagogue, they let that fear caused them to shy away from thanking the Messiah, Jesus himself, that came to open the blind eyes and the deaf ears, to raise the dead and to set the captive free. What a sad, sad thing. It turns out that as we look further in that chapter, in John chapter 9, the, the man who was healed was kicked out of the synagogue. Can you imagine that? Kicked out of his church because a mighty thing Jesus did. Now you may say, well, that's, that's back in Bible times. That doesn't really happen. I want to real quickly tell you a story, and uh, we'll get right back to this. Horatio Spafford, God used him in a mighty way. His wife and four children were heading over uh, to England, I believe. They came across rough, rough seas. Uh, four of their children were drowned in the sea on that trip. Horatio had stayed home for business dealings. His wife and four children had gone. She sends a, 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 a telegram back to him and says, saved alone. She meant her life was the only one that spared. Can you imagine the tragedy of losing those four children? I cannot. I've had some tragedy in our lives, but I can't imagine what it would be like to know that. Um, they had another boy, and he got sick and died. And their home church, the Spafford's home church, turned to him and his wife and said, you must have sinned so egregiously, so, so terribly that God is bringing judgment upon you and taking your children. You're no longer welcome in this church. Doesn't that just hurt your heart? The time when that church needed to run to that family and love them and minister to them and hold them up in their time of grief, they cast them out. That's not the end of the story. If you go to Israel right now, there's a wonderful place called the, uh, the Spafford Home for Children. They left America and they went to Israel and started an orphanage there. And some of that family is, is still running that orphanage today. Isn't that wonderful? 
It didn't stop them from being used by God. But you and I may find ourselves, if you have not before, you may, may find yourselves cast out for a reason. John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out. This is the blind man that was healed. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him. One of the greatest phrases in all the scripture. Men can put us out, but Jesus can find us. Uh, it was popular to sing songs back in the 70s sometimes. I found Jesus. I found Jesus. Really, we don't find him. He finds us. And he says to this man, Jesus, having heard that they put him out and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you've both seen him, and he's the one who's talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. See, that's the greater miracle. Not that the man's able to see with his physical eyes now, but now he's able to see with spiritual eyes, to be forgiven of his sins and to become a believer in Jesus Christ. Are you willing to be an outcast? Jesus said through the apostle Paul that we must be willing to be fools for Christ's sake. Now, none of us wants to be a fool. We don't get married and say, I hope my wife turns out to be the greatest fool in town. We just don't do that. I hope my children are just counted as fools by all of their, their uh, schoolmates. No, of course not. And it's not some kind of martyr complex that I'm going to do this so people will treat me a, a certain way. But the scripture teaches us that if we walk with Christ, there's going to be an opposition just as there was to Jesus. In Mark chapter 9, if you'll turn with me there and the verses that Jared read and a few more, I want to walk through this story. It's got a couple, uh, three different um, scenarios, stories within stories. But I want you to think about what it meant to be an outcast. In Mark chapter 9, verse 9, it says, As they were coming down from the mountain, you remember what mountain they've been on? The Mount of Transfiguration. They just saw Jesus his clothes become glorified and they were, they were whiter than any white that the world had ever seen. And they had heard the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. You talk about a mountaintop experience. They have just had it. But now they've come off the mountain. And it says, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the son of man rose from the dead. Now, this is the last command to keep silent in Mark. All the way through this gospel so far, Jesus has said, go home, don't tell anybody, keep quiet, don't say who I am. In the gospel of John, that, that scenario is played out very clearly. He says, my time is not yet. My time is not yet. And when you gotta get all the way to John chapter 12 and then the rest going through the passion of Christ where he says, now's, now's the time, now's the time. But at this time, he says, I want you to go home, gave them orders, don't say anything, until the son, the son of Man rose from the dead. Now, he gave them a statement that they didn't understand. Have you ever been told something you didn't understand? Ooh, I, I live in that, in that world. <laughs> uh, they didn't understand that the Messiah, Jesus himself, was going to have to die a cruel death. He was going to have to be buried in a grave. But he would not stay in that grave. Although there are scriptures of the Old Testament that referred to this, they didn't realize that their Messiah was going to die. They were looking for David to return in a miraculous way, riding on a white horse to dispel the Roman army out of the occupied land of Israel, to reign as a military leader again. 
They were looking for all of that. So when Jesus starts talking about, I'm going to be taken by the chief priests and I'm going to be killed and put on a cross and I'm going to be buried and I'm going to rise again the third day. They don't know what he's talking about. You may say, well, why didn't they understand? Do you remember Y2K? You remember that? <laughs> we, we all were told the world was going to cease to be because our computers could only handle the millennia of the 1900s uh, or the, the, the hundred years of the 1900s and then because of the digits in the computer, everything was going to be, you know, planes were going to fall out of the sky. We couldn't have any communication. Crops were not going to grow. It was not going to rain anymore. I remember the scenarios. It was doomsday. And January 1st, 2000 came and went. We can hear a lot of news about what's going to happen and notice what it says next in verse 10. When Jesus said, the Son of Man rose from the dead, don't say these things until that happens, they seized upon that statement discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. When I read that again this week, I, I thought they seized upon that statement. We have in our world today what we call sound bites, right? Sound bites. These uh, people that are, that are skilled with the audio and visual, we're grateful to have our team here tonight and they do so much work in our church. But if they wanted to, they could take some of my words and my phrases and they could clip those out, put them together with something else and make it say, and my face showing it, that I said something I didn't. Can you believe that could happen? Watch the news when you get home tonight. Uh, watch some of the reports after the fact, and you'll see it's not always like they said. Sound bites. We live in a sound bite world where we don't hear the context of something that is said. It's like a person who would take a scripture that says, There is no God. There is a verse in the Bible that says, There is no God. Did you know that? But that's not all the verse. The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. So you can hear a sound bite, and they heard that sound bite rise from the dead. And they seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, why is it that the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And that's an honest question. If they're looking at Jesus and saying, you're the Messiah, the Christ, the Old Testament said that there had to be a prophet come first that would prepare the way for the Messiah. So they're thinking, wait a minute, did we miss something? Why does it say Elijah had to come first? And he said to them, Elijah does first come and restore all things. And yet how is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? He's telling them, guys, be sure you go back to Sunday school because you got part of it but you don't have the rest of the story. Yes, just like the scripture says, there's going to be a prophet that's going to be a forerunner, prophesied back in Isaiah. You're going to prepare the way of the Lord. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, is speaking about the spirit of Elijah would come, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children of the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. They're thinking, hey, we've heard about this prophet. We're going to ask him. And he said, well, just like you've heard about the prophet, you should have also heard that when the Son of Man comes, he's going, to, he's going to suffer. And see, they just don't get it. Before we look at Peter, James, and John, the rest of those apostles, and say, guys, why did you miss it? I probably would have missed it worse than they did. 
They're walking the footsteps that no one's ever walked before. Jesus has called these 12 out for a brand new purpose that no one has ever been called to before. So it says, the scripture says, Elijah will come. He has, he, he will, and he, he, the son of man will suffer many things. Verse 13, but I say to you, Elijah has indeed come and they did to him whatever they wished just as it is written, as it is written of him. Jesus tells them in answer to their question, you guys, you're exactly right. Elijah, the spirit of Elijah must come first before the Messiah. And I tell you, he already came. He already came. Matthew describes this a little bit more clearly. I want to read it to you. Matthew eleven fourteen. If you are willing to accept it, Jesus says, John himself is Elijah who was to come. The spirit that was in Elijah was also in John the Baptist, and he was the forerunner. You remember the first of the Gospel of John? When Jesus came actually to his cousin, they didn't know each other. And he came and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world, baptizing Jesus. And he said, The one who told me to go and called me said, This is the one. And John has done exactly what the scripture foretold the spirit of Elijah would do. Let me remind you of a few similarities between Elijah and John. Uh, did, did Elijah have a wicked king and queen that mistreated him and were ugly to him? Ahab and Jezebel. You got a mean dog, you don't name him Paul or Peter. You usually name him, you name him something worse than that. Ahab, Jezebel. Did, uh, did John the Baptist have the th same thing? Herod and Herodias? A woman that talked her own probably teenage daughter or under teenage daughter into asking for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Oh, how, how terrible that could be. That just shows the influence that that little girl had from a wicked mom. They're very similar in that way. They were mistreated by heads, men and women. They dressed alike, camel hair, leather belts. They spoke with authority. Both of them spoke, thus saith the Lord. Both of them were confronted by evil rulers. They were victims of cruel women. They rebuked Israel. They led people to repent. They lived in the wilderness with primitive diets, and they had rough appearances. I'll be real honest with you. John the Baptist would probably not be welcome in a lot of churches today. Would you agree? His appearance would not be exactly what a lot of churches are expecting. Elijah wouldn't either. And I want to tell you, the world sought to cast out John. Where is he sitting when we read these words? He's sitting in jail. Or actually, he's already been killed, beheaded. He's already been uh, martyred for the cause of Christ. The world sought to cast out John, too. Did he do it on his own? John, you're getting what you deserve. You've just been an outlaw. You've been a crazy man out there in the Judean wilderness, and you got what you deserve. No. Did he get cast out for a godly reason? He did. Verse, nine, uh, verse 14. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. You remember who the scribes were? They were people that copied the scripture. They didn't have computers. They didn't have copy machines. They would copy the scripture and they became proficient in the words and the letters, the language. Um, they, that was their life. Uh, they did that. They copied the scripture. How would you like that to be your life? 
You copied, copied the Old Testament Bible every day of your life. Now, when I was uh, first starting to use uh, some of the things, writing papers, college time, we had what was called whiteout. If you're sitting next to a young person that's uh, uh, only had computers, would you tell them what whiteout is? Uh, I think some people, when we first got computer screens, started putting it all over their screen, and uh, that didn't work, did it? We used whiteout. And then they really came out with something. If you had those electric typewriters, you had that little white tape you could put in there. And it would strike it and put a little white paint over those. And Otherwise, you could be typing a whole page like this and make one little grammatical uh, error and you'd have to throw it all away and start over. What do you think it was like these, for these scribes? They were meticulous in copying the scriptures. When they came back, they saw the disciples, a large crowd around them, and scribes were arguing with them. Immediately, if you've been counting in the, in the Gospel of Mark, this is the 33rd time that Mark uses that word. When the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed, began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute, and whatever, whenever it seizes him, it slams him in the ground and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and stiffens out. Guys, this would be, this would be the most, uh, a picture of what most of us turn off if it comes on the television. My wife and I, I this is some of the first years of our life. I've been in, uh, a pastor for a long time and first years of our life that I've been home some during the week and the evenings with my wife and it's wonderful. I don't know if she says it's wonderful or not, but I think it's pretty good. And I enjoy watching television with my wife. And even as, as early as last night, a television show came on and it started showing demonic things. And I said, we've got to get that off of there. I don't want to see it. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to open the door to that. Uh, don't play a video game that opens it. I'm warning you. I've dealt with a lot of people that have gotten mixed up in the occult. And it is not pretty. Here, a true problem of someone who had a demon. This demon... Satan always wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So when you see a, a scenario like this played out, it is all, always with the intent to harm. It is ten, the intent to cruelly punish and hurt every way that he can. Uh, teacher, I brought this, my son, to him. He, the demon catches him. He, he's able, unable to speak. It seizes him, slams him to the ground, foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, stiffens out. Now, what we would look at, we've got to be really careful. We don't look at the scripture through 21st century eyes and think we know more than they did. You may know how to do some things they didn't do. I'll guarantee you they knew how to do some things we don't know how to do. But the world would say, well, he had an epileptic seizure. That's epilepsy. The scripture makes it very, very clear this is not a disease, it is a demon. It may look like what we would call epilepsy today, but it is not. I want to I say something right here, and, and I will not apologize for this, because I've, I've dealt with lots and lots of people that have gotten mixed up with false teachers that teach um, sensational, emotional things. They want to talk about the devil more than they want to talk about Jesus, and it's just wrong. And they attribute every kind of physical ailment and disease to a demon. And they call the demon of this and the demon of that. And folks, that's just not the way it is. Uh, yes, disease entered the world and death entered the world. Satan had a lot to do with it. Our mom and daddy, Adam and Eve, had a lot to do with it too. 
But the Bible's very very clear when there is disease, there is lunacy, that is mental illness, and there is oppression by the enemy, demons and evil spirits. They are all distinct. They can be in the same place at the same time in the same person. But I've known many, many people that want to theologically say, I know what that was. And I just, I encourage you, don't be in, in, uh, don't be in the camp that calls the Bible in error. Uh, you'll not win that one, I promise you. Nobody here doing that, I'm sure. Um, I, he said, well, I told your disciples, I asked them to cast it out and they could not. We'll see what Jesus says about that in a moment. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. Now, this is another kind of casting out. We've seen the blind man who was cast out of his church. We've seen John the Baptist who was cast out of Israel. He was cast out of the, uh, the, the people of faith, uh, of the world that would claim they were of faith. He was an outcast to the, to the religious leaders of the day. And now we're going to see another casting out where Jesus literally is going to cause this demon to do what he tells it to do. Don't ever think that the devil and God are, are uh, opposites. They are not. If you have any opposite of Lucifer or Satan, you'd have to say Michael, another angel that was created. Uh, the devil is not omnipotent. He is not omniscient. He does not see everything. He does not know the future. He does not know everything about you. And when people come to me and say, the devil's really been bothering me today, he cannot be everywhere, I want to ask them, how bad is your day that the big guy himself is bothering you? Now, he's got a lot of minions, the scripture teaches. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all you have to do is keep focused on Jesus. Jesus will bruise Satan under your feet. You don't have to command anything. I've got a real problem. I've, I've been to the funerals of people that got caught up in false teaching and it breaks my heart and you can tell I'm a little bit passionate about that. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, oh, believing generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Jesus is rebuking them a little bit. They've already seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And Jesus is trying to get his disciples to believe he's not going to be there with us all the time. And we're in that age right now. The spirit of Christ is here. The Holy Spirit is inside of our life. But Jesus is going back to heaven to seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he says, disciples and people, I'm not going to be here forever. We must do what is said here. We must take the things to the Lord. When Jesus said, bring him to me. You may be sitting here tonight and, and uh, I have great compassion for people that are suffering. I just, if I could take that suffering away from you tonight, whatever it may be. Some of us are suffering because our children have spun off and it hurts. Some of us suffer physically and we're not sure what to do to feel better. Uh, we've got some people on staff that uh, have got some chronic illnesses that just won't go away. And I just pray all the time, please, Lord, heal perfectly. If you are sick and you're in pain every day, day after day after day after day, uh, it's, it, it's a terrible thing. Would you agree with me that if somebody is suffering, the whole family suffers too? The whole family suffers when one does. So he says, bring them to me. We need to do that. Let me tell you how not to do it. 
if you ever hear somebody saying, we've got this problem in our family, this has happened, this has happened, and all we've tried everything and all we have left to do is pray. I think there's something wrong with that. Prayer should not be a last resort. Prayer should be our first resort. And when I hear all, the, all we have left to do is pray, I want to ask them, have you been praying? Did you pray first? Because he said, bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately, that's number 34, the spirit threw him into a convulsion, falling to the ground. He began rolling around, foaming at the mouth. Why do you think it happened right at the, in the presence of Jesus? Why do you think there was a uh, demonic presence to the height that, that we have never seen in recorded history before when the Son of God walked on the face of the earth? Because the enemy wanted to bring his big guns. He wanted to do everything he could to stop this Messiah. And that demon caused that boy to be again in that demonic fit. And verse 21, Jesus turned and he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. I believe Jesus knew exactly what that man was going through. Those of you who have a little child, grandchild, people, the children, nephews, nieces that you love, if that little one is hurting, you know, uh, God's blessed us with our first grandchild. Have I told you that? You may say, have you told us? You've told us over and over and over again. Uh, we had heard that babies can't get COVID. Did you hear that? Our little one got COVID from a uh, daycare worker and he was sick for three and a half weeks with every symptom that an adult can have. And you don't think our family was hurting for that little one who wasn't large enough to cough? He wasn't large enough and mature enough to tell us where it hurt? I can't tell you what it felt like. You've probably been through some of those things yourself. One Sunday morning when my daughter was just a few months old, we always got up early because uh, we were at church early. We were there for all Sunday morning, all Sunday evening. My, my children grew up coming to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night. It didn't hurt them at all. But that little baby was in my arms and I walked through the kitchen about to go out to the car and she started to choke. And I couldn't tell what it was. And I've kind of got big hands and I turned her over and I was hitting her on the back and praying, oh dear God, help me to hit hard enough but not too hard. I don't want to hurt my little baby. But Lord, I can't stand to see my little girl trying to get a breath of air. I would have given her my breath at that moment and died that instant for my little baby to be okay. Finally, she was able to clear, cough up what that was and, and uh, it was just uh, build up from, from having a cold and congestion. When I got to church, I asked some of our medical people at the church, would you come and tell me what to do the next time that happens? I want to be ready for that. Have you been there before? You'd do anything to help that little one that's in danger. Well, nobody's more compassionate than Jesus. And when that dad said, this has happened his whole life, I know our Lord and Savior that loves you and loves me knew exactly what that family had been going through. How long has this been happening to him? He said from childhood. It's often thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. How many times do you think that dad, his family, had prayed for that little boy? How many times? A hundred? Five hundred? A thousand? 
probably multiple thousands of times, Lord God of Israel, I've heard about your miracles in Egypt. I've heard about your miracles with Elijah and Elisha. I've heard about your power. Nothing's too hard for you. He might have quoted scripture back to God day after day after day because he loved that little boy. You would have and I would have. And then when Jesus hears from the dad from childhood, this is what happens to him. The enemy wants to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Before we jump on this guy and say, if you can, that's what a lot of us do. We look at that phrase and say, if you can. Have you not been there sometimes too? I've been with people that have been in terrible situations and they cry out, can anything good happen to me? Is there any help anywhere? When I was a young man, I was... Never, I'm just being kind of transparent with you. I was never cocky on the outside. I was never prideful on the outside because I despise that. I love confidence. I think Christians are supposed to be the most confident people walking the planet. But I don't, I've never, I've never uh, honored uh, pride that acts like they're better than someone else. I just, I just, that's one of my weaknesses, I guess. I don't have much patience for that. But you know we can have inner pride. We can have spiritual pride on the inside that doesn't manifest it that way. And I remember thinking, well, I, I would never do this or I would never do this. About 35, after life beats you up a little bit, can anybody uh, relate to that? Especially when you're 40, 45, when life kind of beats you up a little bit, you get a little more patient. And if somebody says, what would you do in that circumstance? And I had an atheist ask me. He came to church one day, and I was so glad he came. And I said, can I take you to lunch? He said, sure. And I said, can I pray over the meal? I don't want to offend you, but I always pray. He said, okay. We had a, about a two-hour discussion there, and I prayed for him. And, and uh, I pray that I'll see him someday, either here in church or in heaven. Uh, he talked about quantum physics. He talked about math and science. He believes everything with math and science. It didn't have anything to do with anything spiritual. But the thing that he couldn't understand when I shared my testimony and he asked me a question, he said, if we were on a deserted island and you and I were the only ones alive and for one of us to remain alive, would you kill me so you could live? Now, when I was 25, I would have said, absolutely not. There's no way. When I was 35, I would have probably said, I don't think I would. When I was 45, I would probably said, I don't know what I would do. And I was honest with that guy. I said, I have learned to not say what I would do in circumstances because sometimes I don't know. But here's what I can tell you. I pray with all my heart that if that were the case, I would give my life for you so you could live. And he said, that's what I can't understand. I said, you'd kill me, wouldn't you? Yep, survival of the fittest. I can't understand that you would give your life so I could live. And I said, that's what Jesus did for us. He gave his life for you and for me so that we could live. And you pray for him. His name's Matthew. He doesn't even know he has a biblical name, I don't think. Pray for Matthew one day to come walking in church and say, hi, brother. Won't that be great? If you can do anything... Help us. And we don't need to limit God. We don't need to pray like that. Lord, if you can do anything, because there's nothing he can't do. But Jesus said to him, verse 23, if you can, 
I don't think he was being ugly to that man at all. I don't think he was really getting on him. He got on the apostles a little bit a while ago. Don't you believe? But I think this man, he has great, great compassion for him. If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately, number 35, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I've already told you the story of blind Randy that I was privileged to watch the last few days of his life. An atheist that in that hospital bed, knowing that he was about to die, cried out and said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. God loves honesty. And you may be going through something right now and say, I don't understand. Why would God let me go through it? That's okay. Talk to him about it. God is big enough to handle your questions. I'm so glad. And this man was honest. I do believe. But gee, this, there's part of me. I just need help. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, I want you to realize the unclean spirit does not tell the, the, the Son of God what to do. There's no tug of war there. That unclean spirit knows where it's headed, to an eternal lake of fire, and the master, the creator of the universe is standing before them. Those demons cry out and say, what do we have to do with you, son of God? They know who he is. James says they know who, the demons know who Jesus is and they tremble. There's no tug of war like the movies try to make it. Immediately the boy's father cried out, uh, help my unbelief. And the unclean spirit said to it, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you come out of him and do not enter him again. That's a twofold command right there, come out of him. But the Bible teaches us it's very important because someone could have their house cleaned and swept. You remember that? And then a demon could leave, but come back and bring seven more demons, even more vile than he. Jesus said, come out of him and never enter in him again. Jesus came to set the captive free. Oh. Never enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. It had one last effort trying to harm this boy. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he is dead. This miraculous work uh, for, done for this boy is going to look like Jesus is raising a dead man. And I think it's exactly that purpose. Because you and I, before we became a Christian, we were dead. That blind man that said, I was lost, but now I'm found. You remember the prodigal son when he said, the father said he was dead, but now he's alive. That's all the picture of us. We were dead in our sins. If you have an illustration by, in a book or a preacher teaching or preaching, and he talks about, yeah, we're, on a, uh, we're out in the ocean, and there's a, there is a ship going by, and we're out there treading water, and they throw a lifeline to us, and that's what the church does. It's a lifeline to throw out to us while we're treading water so we don't drown. That is not a good illustration. You know where the fallacy is in that? We're not treading water before we're saved. We're dead. We're already drowned. We're separated from God. But Jesus loves you so much. Jesus loves you so much that before you leave this room tonight, I believe he wants us to draw near to him. He's in this place. That's not sensational. That's not uh, trying to be emotional. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there with you. I want to tell you, as you get older and you go through some things, you want Jesus to, you want to know he's there with you. 
Jesus said, I'll never leave you, forsake you. I'm not going to run out on you. And it says, after crying out, throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he is dead. What Christ did for us at Calvary looks like raising the dead, and it literally is. But Jesus. I think Tommy said this morning, one of his professors at DTS said, the greatest words in all the Bible are but God. Our testimony ought to be full of that. I was this, and I was this, and I was this, and I, I can't describe to you how lost I was. But God has changed my life, and he's forgiven me. And Our testimony needs to be full of what Christ has done. But Jesus, he's not dead, took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And, and I just want to tell you here tonight, in case you haven't heard it lately, there's going to be a day when Jesus comes back for us. He's coming back for his church, and he's going to say, get up. And that's the same kind of word. You're going to be caught up to be with him forever. He'll take us by the hand, raise us up. He got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. I believe what had happened was the apostles got a little bit overconfident. They thought, we've done this before, cast out demons. We can just do it again. And they didn't depend on Jesus as much as they did in the beginning. Can that happen to you and me? We can get a little spiritually confident sometimes. And God has to sit us back down and say, you sure haven't prayed as much as you did the first time. We need to make sure we depend on Christ. We don't take anything for granted. Anybody that handles this word of God, I prayed sitting right over there and I've done it since I was 16 years old before I've gotten up to speak in a pulpit. Lord, empty me of all my wretchedness. There's nothing good about me but you. Empty me of me. Please let me not stand up there in the flesh. I'm handling the precious word of God. Fill me with your spirit so you can use your word and, and use that gift in me. And if I ever stop praying that, y'all need to get rid of me. And they had just not depended on Jesus too much. It didn't work. And they just needed to learn. We need to start over again. We, we need to make sure we pray a lot about this. How many of you, you may say, we don't do anything like that. How many of you have organized a, a, a complete VBS? And then you brought it to Jesus and say, bless it, Lord. That's not the way we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to fall on our knees first and say, Lord, do you even want us to have a, a vacation Bible school? Well, we always have. It doesn't matter. Some of the, the seven deadliest words in churches, that's the way we've always done it. It can get us in trouble sometimes. We've got to come like Jesus is telling them. This kind comes out with a lot of prayer. I would encourage you tonight, don't wait till the storm. Don't wait till the storm to pray. I got to close. Uh, let's see about casting out. A demon was cast out, a major portion of the scripture. The blind man was cast out for a good purpose. Um, John the Baptist was cast out because he obeyed God. You and I may be a cast out someday, but God said just like he gathers Israel, he can gather you and me too. There was a 17-year-old girl that I knew that began dating a young preacher in her hometown. She'd grown up in the church. Her mom, her dad had already passed away, but her mom and two of her sisters had grown up in a certain church, her denomination. And she started dating a young preacher that was holding a Bible study for the youth of the town. And her minister sent two, they called him a minister, sent two 
uh, this 17-year-old girl by way of another 17-year-old that went to the same church and her schoolmate and said, if you don't stop uh, dating this preacher, because he wasn't of their denomination, you are no longer welcome in the church you grew up in. Now, he didn't come himself. He sent another 17-year-old to do that. Men and women, it's a God thing sometimes that we're cast out of some places. It's a good thing. It's a bad thing when men try to cast somebody out for the wrong reason. But there was a 17-year-old girl. Broke her heart. She married that preacher. And we'll be celebrating our 33rd anniversary in a couple months. It's okay to get cast out of some places because Jesus can find us, grab us by the hand and say, come on, go with me. Love you guys. Benton Bible loves you guys. Let's pray. Mark comes and gets ready to lead us in our closing song here today. Will you let this passage do a work in your life? I've asked Jesus for the same thing in me. Please start in me first. Help me never to be cast out because I've done something wrong. Help me not to get kicked out of places that I shouldn't have been in the first place, Lord. But if I ever get cast out for your sake, oh, Jesus, would you find me? Would you grab me by the hand and let me know that I'm right there with you? Men and women, it's time in our churches. I don't know where you've been, and you don't know where I've been in a lot of places, but it's time. It's always been time, but surely now for us to stand strong. Know your Bible, love your Bible, live your Bible. Support your pastor. Support your elders and leadership of the church. Support, oh, you know what I'd love? I'd love, I'd love more than 59 people say, you can count me in. I'll, I'll meet with those children on Sunday morning. I want to tell them about a good God. And if you're here tonight and you're not sure you're saved, I want to just encourage you. You think that was terrible to read that story about what a demon did that little boy Without Jesus, you're headed for a whole lot worse than that. But God loved you so much that he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross so that you could call upon him here tonight. We'll pray with you if you'd like for us to. There's some of the staff here tonight and we'd be glad to spend time with you. Visitors to the church here tonight, you may say, what is this guy talking about? Oh, I just pray. You lift up the name of Jesus in your heart. Lift up his Bible and call it good. Dear Lord, would you hear our prayers tonight? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.